0: Well, let's, uh, let's do a little theology this morning. Maybe that will wake us up. I had seven messages prepared for the week, and then when uh, I got the finalized schedule, realized there were eight slots. So, there was kind of a choice of when to do something a, a little bit different. And based upon the excellent uh, question and answer time that we had last night, I thought this would be a good time to follow up and to take this session to do something a little different. So today in particular, we're going to talk a little bit about sanctification, and I want to make some distinctions biblically, and we need to understand that there's a progressive sanctification, and that's what I was speaking about, and I was speaking about change, but then there's also a positional sanctification, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I also want to go back to that question about doubting Salvation, And I want to look at some instances where, yes, we should doubt it at certain times. And look at what the Word of God has to say about some of those things. So, we're going to do that this morning. Then we're going to pick up in the evening session with our regularly scheduled messages. So, we'll look at guilt this evening. And then we're going to look at anger or contentment the next morning. Anger and then fear on our final day. So... Let's begin by considering one of the verses that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1. One of those things that we noted was a part of our identity in Christ Jesus is the fact that we are holy if we are in Christ Jesus. Look there at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. When you see that word holy in Scripture, that has a direct connection with that idea of sanctification. Holiness and sanctification are very closely related. You know, those things in the temple that were set apart as holy or sanctified, they would be holy then. These are holy items and they are sanctified. That word sanctified in this instance is referring quite a bit to that idea of being set apart. Being set apart. This is an initial sanctification that is speaking of here. That all of God's people, when they are saved, when God regenerates their hearts, they are then set apart unto God. And it also contains the idea of purity, doesn't it? They are set apart and they are looked upon then as blameless in God's eyes or as pure because the righteousness of Christ is accounted as theirs. It's covering them. So... We are sanctified if we are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are sanctified right now in the sense of you have been set apart by God and you are seen as pure in God's eyes. But let's look at another passage which talks about this. And this also is going to tie back into our concept of our identity in Christ. And then we're going to look at some really practical things from this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, sexually immoral people, Nor idolaters, we talked about idolatry, didn't we? Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that's speaking about homosexuals there. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that's speaking about another form of homosexuality. Those two, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but those two terms speak about two different actions in homosexual practice. So that is referring to homosexuals there. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such, notice the tense here, were some of you. That's past tense. Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are Sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you notice the tenses that are being used there. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you are not one of the unrighteous that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your identity is now in Christ. And yes, you may have The sin of sexual immorality in your life, and maybe you're even still battling with that, maybe in the form of lust. But you are not defined by that sin. It is something that you have to overcome by the grace of God and become progressively more like Christ Jesus. But if you are in Christ, then you are washed, you are sanctified. Set apart, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So see, that word sanctified there is clearly talking about a past action for all believers, isn't it? It's something that has happened to you. Well, we're going to go on and look at another passage in just a moment in First Thessalonians, where it's very clear that that word sanctification is used to talk about present actions that you need to continue in okay so there are these two different forms there's the positional sanctification that's what we see right here and then progressive sanctification which is growing more and more in the likeness of Christ becoming more pure in your conduct in your lifestyle in the way that you think in the what in what you do but uh, while we're here I got to talk about this for just a minute Let's talk about our identity in Christ. Notice it says, such were some of you. You were these things. Remember, I touched on last night. I said we have to be careful not to identify ourselves based upon things like our personality. Well, you know, I'm... I'm just melancholy. That's just the way I am. You know, my personality type or I'm a choleric. You, know, you, you know those personality categories? You're not going to find those in the Bible. <laughs> if you define yourself based upon those personality types, you're actually moving outside of the scriptural grid of thinking and you are now doing one of a couple things. One, you may be using that to justify sinful behavior. You may say, well, that's just my personality to be anxious. And there's nothing really I can do about that. Well, no, that's not true. (laughs) Such were some of you. You know, the Bible gives hope. So, you may be using that to justify sin, or you may be depriving yourself of the hope of change. And I talked about that last night. Don't rob yourself of the hope of being able to grow and being able to change by labeling yourselves based on personalities. The Bible doesn't talk about personalities. It talks about behavior. And behavior is either sinful behavior or it's righteous behavior. And so if you're engaging in sinful behavior, God is displeased with that and we've got to kick that out and put on the new, don't we? So we don't say, well, that's just my personality. We don't just say either, well, that's just my genetics. I mean, did you see some things in the list here? There are two different forms of homosexuality here. What's the big push in our secular culture? is to say that that's a genetical condition. That's your genetics. You can't help it. That's the way you are. What do the scriptures say? Such were some of you. There is hope. It is not something that you're locked into and cannot change. There is hope to grow in righteousness. And there are people who have come out of that lifestyle of sinfulness. And they have been given victory. Now, it doesn't mean that they may not be tempted to sin, but as we know and we should know, there's a vast difference between temptation to sin and engaging in sin, isn't there? So, we need to realize that that we should not label ourselves based on our genetics and say, well, it's just the way I am. I can't help it. Another thing that I mentioned, and this is so important, and this is such a major issue today, guys, don't label yourselves based upon a mental illness. That's not your identity here in Christ Jesus. Be very careful of that. Don't label yourselves as ADHD. Say, I am ADHD. That's the way I am. I have a disease. There's nothing I can do about that. Don't label yourself as bipolar and say, I have a disease. That's just the way I am. There's nothing that I can do about that. Don't label yourselves as obsessive-compulsive. That's just the way I am. There's nothing I can do about that. If we're talking about sinful behavior again, there is hope for change. In the Word of God. And as a side note, just a fact here, those conditions that I've mentioned there and the things that you will find in the dsm 4 the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, the American Psychological Association, those things don't have any objective, diagnosable medical tests that can prove those conditions. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. As soon as they do a a blood test and they come up with certain things in your blood, or as soon as they do a CAT scan and they come up with something, or an EKG and they come up with something, as soon as they do, do an objective medical test and they find something, you're no longer labeled as one of those things. You're now labeled as, well, I've got hypothyroidism, or I've got hyperthyroidism, or I've got hepatitis C, or I've got cancer. And... I'm having some things, some symptoms as a result of those conditions. The diagnosis changes. You know how those conditions are diagnosed, like ADHD? It's observing behavior. And it's asking questions of how you feel and how you think. So, all I'm saying with this is, don't define yourself based upon what would be called a mental illness. You're not giving yourself any hope for change there. And you very possibly could be giving yourself an excuse for sin which the Word of God doesn't give. We're supposed to be disciplined, right? Discipline yourself unto godliness. Does that say discipline yourself unto godliness unless you're ADHD? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Now, I want to clarify this. I know this is... A complicated subject. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there on that. It's the air we breathe. I want to clarify something a little bit here. Yes, your genetics. Yes, the way that you were raised in your family situations. Will have an impact on your lives. And how you are tempted towards sin it will have an impact on that. You know, some of you may have come from terrible family situations and you just had horrific, horrific things take place in your lives. And, you know, that's terrible that you had to go through that and face that. And that does affect where you are now and what you need to think through from the Word of God. Now, it doesn't give an excuse for sinful behavior, but the fact of the matter is, we're all prone to certain temptations, right? Are we all tempted in the exact same way, at the exact same strength level, as everyone else in the exact same things? No, we're not, right? I could probably talk to each one of you out there, and, and we could talk about what is your primary temptation, what is the main thing that you battle with, And how hard is that for you? And it may be a lot harder for you to avoid the sin of falling into lust than it is to avoid the sin of worry. But I may talk to somebody else and it may be ten times harder for them to avoid the temptation of falling into worry than it is to fall into the sin of lust. You see, we all have those things that make it more difficult for us to battle against certain sins. But according to the Scriptures, we can battle against those because we're in Christ. Because He, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we do have the power to battle. So let's realize such were some of us and let's not define ourselves because the Lord gives us grace to change. Let's not live up to our label. Hey, even Dr. Phil got this one right. Don't live up to your label. I watched an episode where there were um, these kids that had been diagnosed as bipolar. And I mean, you know, this, this girl, uh, you know, she was probably 11, 12 years old at the time she was on the show. And I mean, she was just a rip snorting terror. I mean, to the point of, you know, uh, you know, just screaming vets. She was doing everything she could to manipulate her parents. She was threatening bodily harm to her sister and had hurt her sister frequently. You know, So Dr. Phil does all his analysis and whatnot, and he said to the parents, one thing that I'm very concerned about with these young people is that they are diagnosed as bipolar, these two girls, and now they are living up to that label. They believe they have this disease, and so they're justifying their behavior based on that. And I'm thinking, you know what? Even a broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) Dr. Phil, don't trust Dr. Phil. He doesn't point people to Christ. But you know what? He was right on that one. He was right on that one. Such were some of you that you were washed, sanctified, justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus, there's our identity. And by the Spirit of our God, the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to enable us to grow and to enable us to change. So there's that positional sanctification We talked a little bit about progressive in there, but let's turn over to a text now that more specifically deals with that idea of progressive sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just one final clarification note, you know, I jumped into that topic of mental illness, and it's a very, very complex topic. My my approach to that is that we are always responsible for our behavior toward God. It doesn't matter if we've got heart disease or if we got hyperthyroidism we're still responsible for how we behave toward God. As long as we're conscious and we're able to make a choice, we're responsible for our behavior toward God and toward others. So, even you even get into things that are really complex like Alzheimer's. You know, As long as that person is conscious of what is going on, they're responsible not to violate the commandments of God. But there's some of those things with mental illnesses where... Maybe someday down the road, they will do a medical test and find out, you know what, there is something going on with folks that are diagnosed as bipolar. Right now, you go to the National Institute of Mental Health website, I've been there, and they say, we do not know the cause of this condition. They'll they'll admit that. They don't know because they can't do a medical test to determine any cause. Maybe someday they will do a medical test and they will find something wrong. But you know what? That still doesn't justify sinful behavior. Just like somebody, you know, with a heart condition, it doesn't justify living in in fear and anxiety as a result of that. You see, we're still responsible for our behavior before God. God doesn't have those exception clauses. You know, "Thou shalt not steal," unless. Or except, be anxious for nothing except when such and such is going on. Then it's go. Then it's okay to wear yourself sick. No. Okay. Chased a few rabbits. Tried to get a few worms back in the can. Now let's jump to First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning with verse one. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. You ever wonder what God's will is for you? Here's something that is absolutely always God's will for you without exception. This is the will of God. Even your sanctification, this is the process of sanctification here, that you should abstain from fornication. And that word fornication there is a very broad term referring to sexual immorality of all forms. It is the will of God, and this is your sanctification. Now that sanctification there isn't speaking about that positional sanctification, but this is talking about practice So it's talking about the progressive sanctification. It is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Is that talking about your water bottle? (laughs) It's talking about your body, right? Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. So, here we have very strongly in this word sanctification the idea of purity, don't we? Being brought out. Sexual purity. And this is God's will for us and this is a part of our sanctification progressively that we obtain or that we abstain from sexual immorality. That we should know how to possess our vessels in sanctification and honor not in the lust of concupiscence, not with the lust of evil desires as the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned you and testified. Notice this again. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but He has called us unto holiness. See, we are called by God. We are in Christ Jesus. We are the elect. We have been called God, but He hasn't called us to uncleanness. He hasn't called us to do whatever we want with our bodies. Do you not know? Your bodies are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, talking about sexual immorality in that context. We are called unto holiness. Were to be holy as who is holy? What did we see? Be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So we're called unto holiness. So there, there those two different elements of sanctification—they're both they're both essential in the Christian life. And uh, I was speaking with uh, Brother Tom Henry about that this morning, you know, you got you got. Uh, very prominent in evangelical circles, the idea that you know you get sanctified initially, and then progressive sanctification is is optional. If you want to if you want to be a disciple, you know if you want to go on to deeper things, then you go ahead and be progressively sanctified and you you know live a more holy life and all of those types of things. But that's optional. The fact of the matter is the scriptures. And we're going to look at this in a moment when we talk about doubting salvation. The Scriptures give evidences of those who have truly had the work of God in their hearts. I mean, if we have been impacted by the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit coming into us and doing a spiritual change, and the Scriptures say we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that is going to show in our lives. Faith without works is What? Mostly dead? <laughs> Have you seen that? Princess Bride. <laughs> He's mostly dead. No, not mostly dead. Faith without works is doot, doot, flatlined. Nothing going on there, right? So, we will see the fruit in our lives. And we need to realize that when God gets a hold of us, John Bunyan said it this way, I'm paraphr- paraphrasing it, but he used these two big words in it. And he said it's both monstrous and ridiculous to presume that those who have not been transformed will not do good works. And he said, What? Where there is life, is there not motion? If you're alive, something's moving in your body. You've got brainwaves, or you've got a heart rate, or you've got respiratory function. You know, something's moving. Where there is life, is there not motion? One more illustration on that. I guess I'll go ahead and borrow from Paul Washer. Some of you guys are probably familiar with, with Paul Washer. He, thought, he was at a conference, and he was illustrating the fact that when we had this encounter with the living God, there's something changes in us. And he said, What if I were to show up at this conference and I'm all, you know, hot and out of breath and bedraggled and whatnot? You know, and I come in and I'm late and you guys would ask me, Well, Brother Paul, why are you late? And he said, Well, let me explain it to you. He said, I was coming over here and I got a flat tire, so I got out to change the tire. And while I was doing that, one of the lug nuts rolled out in the road and I ran out to get it. And I got run over by an 18 wheeler traveling 70 miles an hour. That's why I'm late. He said, You say to me, Brother Paul, that's impossible. You cannot have an encounter with something of that magnitude and not be changed. He said, Thus it is with the living God. You cannot have a genuine saving encounter with the living God and not be changed. And so I was very concerned when I had a man tell me, he said, My niece has converted over to Mormonism. You realize Mormonism is a cult, it's not just another branch of Christianity. <laughs> Jesus is just another God, you know, he's not the God. It's it's a cult. And he said, My niece has converted to Mormonism you know what he said then though he said but I'm not worried about her salvation because I know she made a profession of Christ I'm just worried about the people that she's going to lead astray into false this false religion is that biblical thinking (laughs) it's not and we're going to look at we're going to look at that there are certain things that you have to believe or that you cannot deny and still be saved so let's transition here and let's talk for just a couple of minutes just a couple of minutes I'm trying not to keep you guys too long this time from your tournament challenge although I might be tempted it's going to be hot out there right everybody like it in here where it's nice and cool but let's talk for a minute about doubting our salvation yes we should doubt if we examine ourselves, if we look inward, and we find that in our practice, in our desires, or in essential beliefs of the faith, we fall desperately short. Our practice, our desires, or the essentials of the faith. And by practice I mean that we look in our lives and we see a habit, a continual pattern of ungodliness and we're going to look at some things from 1st John regarding that so let's turn over to the book of 1st John and we're going to jump through here and we're going to see some statements here and we're going to use these as a diagnostic tool if there's one of these things that you look in your heart and you say you know what that is just always out of whack. And that is never right according to the Scripture. Then you need to consider whether you're even saved and you need to be on your face repenting of that sin, crying out unto God to forgive you of that sin and to give you the grace to truly turn from it. But let's look at a few of these things. First of all, look at chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, with God, and we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you look inward at your heart and you say, you know what? I am, I am constantly walking in darkness. I am living in sin. That is the pattern of my life. That is the habit of my life. To live in unrighteousness before God. Then you need to examine yourself whether you're in the faith Because it says, if you say then that you're in fellowship with God, that you're a liar. And what you're saying doesn't match up with what you're doing and who you are on the inside. Look down to verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you get all proud and haughty and say, I have reached the pinnacle of perfection. I no longer sin against God. You better look in and examine yourself. C.H. Spurgeon, maybe you've heard this story. A woman came up to him and said something to the effect of, I haven't sinned in 25 years. And he said, ma'am, I bet you're proud about that. And she said, yes, I am. (laughs) So... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Look down to verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. You notice the different tenses there? If we say that we have no sin and we are absolutely perfect and we've reached that pinnacle of perfection, this one down here says if we say that we have not sinned. So that's saying I have never ever sinned. Not from the day I was born. You know, I am an angel. Look at my little halo. It is glowing and flashing neon and pretty. It says, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. Because what does God say? All have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you say, I have not sinned, you're saying, God is a liar. God is a liar. Okay. Look down to verse 6 of chapter 2. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as He walks. That's Christ Jesus. If you look at your life and you look at your walk, namely your conduct, the things that you're doing, the way that you live, and you're going this way and Jesus is going that way, then you better examine yourself. Because you're supposed to walk like Christ walks. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Whoa. Do you have constant hatred for someone in your heart? You better examine yourself. Because the one who hates his brother and says he's in the light is actually in the darkness. Verse 11, He that hates his brother is in darkness, walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's stumbling in the dark. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, if you are all about the lust of the flesh, satisfying the desires of your sensual flesh, the lust of the eyes, you're all about... Lusting after things that you can see and that you can try and obtain to. The pride of life, everything is wrapped up in your pride in this life. That person's not of the Father, but is of the world. We're not to love those things. So we have to examine ourselves. Verse 22 Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He's Antichrist, that denies the Father and the Son. Verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have not heard, or which you have heard from the beginning, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. If you know that He is righteous, verse twenty nine, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of Him. So we're supposed to practice righteousness. And it, it goes on and on. Just sit down and read through the book of first John and note all those things sometime. It goes on and on there. So we need to look inward. And look at our beliefs as well as this practice. Practice here, and if we find practices that are just constantly outside of the pattern of Scripture, we need to examine ourselves. What about our desires? What if we look inward and we say, you know what, I don't live to please God. That's not my primary desire. I'm living to please myself. Uh, Brother Larry mentioned to me that the idea that. Pleasing ourselves can be our greatest idol. Right? We talked about idolatry. Pretty much all those things that I talked about, all those different Ps, all can even flow from a desire to please ourselves. Above all. At the expense of others, and at the expense of doing that which is right to God. Now we should delight ourselves in the Lord and seek pleasure in God and in obedience to Him. Right? It's okay to be joyful Christians. As a matter of fact, we're called to be joyful Christians. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. But we're not to find our joy in our private pleasures at the expense of others. We're not to find our joy in disobedience unto God. What about our beliefs? Beliefs. You know, there are some things that you cannot deny and be a Christian. And if someone comes to you and they say, Well, I just don't believe that, and they have heard it, it has been explained to them from the Word of God accurately, and they deny it, then you can point, you can say directly to them, You are not a child of God. There are times we can know that someone is not a child of God. If they absolutely deny something that the Scriptures say, is fundamental for our salvation. Let's look at just a couple of those. This is really important to know these things. I mean, this is right where we live. So if we look in our hearts and we say, you know what, I I don't believe that, or I deny that, then we're not in the faith. We need to re-examine this. We need to make sure that we understand it properly according to the Scriptures, and then we need to make sure we know what the truth is. So what do you think some of those things might be? Ah, usually, you know, our tendency is to make our list of essential things way too long. I think that's usually usually our tendency. To make it way, way, way too long. The doctrines of grace. I know, I know, I've heard pastors who say, if you don't believe all five of the doctrines of grace, you are damned. They cannot find that anywhere in the scriptures where the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit says that you are lost if you don't hold to every one of the doctrines of grace. Now, are they in error? (laughs) I hold to the doctrines of grace, so I think that it's in error not to. But we better be very careful if we say somebody is lost and not saved. So let's look at a few of these things. Very short list, like I said. This may not be all of them in Scripture, but here's some things we can know. We have to believe the gospel. And the gospel as given in a nutshell by the Apostle Paul in specific in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is that? What is the gospel there? And then do the scriptures say anywhere that you have to believe that or you're outside of Christ Jesus? 1 Corinthians 15, first of all, beginning... With verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. See this? You're saved by this gospel. By believing in this message, the Holy Spirit applying the work of Christ to you and giving you ability to believe this message. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That is part of the Gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So that Christ's death is what makes us right with God. Because our sin has separated us from God. Christ's death and belief in the work of Christ is what saves us from our sins. That He was buried... And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then it gives testimony of people who saw Him. So this is something that you've got to believe. If you don't believe that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, you're not saved. That's simple, right? We all know that. You also have to believe in His resurrection, right? 1 Corinthians 15, He goes on here over and over and over again to talk about the resurrection. And if Christ hasn't raised, our faith is in vain. It's hopeless. It's empty. We're, of all people, the most miserable. These are some things that you have to hold to. Let's tie that in real quickly with Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And look down at verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. What was the gospel? The Apostle Paul had outlined that there. We're going to see something else that's an element of this gospel in a moment. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, anathema. It's a very strong word. As we said before, he's emphasizing this. So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. If anybody comes and preaches that you're saved any other way from your sins, than through the work of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, let him be accursed. But you know what? Here's another element that we see in Galatians. The second point, that salvation is by grace through faith. You cannot believe that you are saved by your works and be a child of God. Do do the Scriptures say this? I'm I'm looking for things where the Scriptures directly say that if you deny this or if you don't believe this, you are outside of Christ Jesus. That's what I'm looking for here. Look over at chapter 5 of Galatians. Because if the Scriptures don't directly say that, or if we can't make an airtight case that it's absolutely necessary that this one thing flows out of this other thing, then we should not say that you are lost if you don't believe a particular thing. We've gone outside of the Word of God then. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you are circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And he's talking there about if you believe that circumcision is an act that is putting you in covenant with God and making you right with God. That's what he's talking about there with that idea of circumcision, not just the the physical act of circumcision itself. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. He's saying if you believe that you are justified by the law and by obedience to the law, that you are fallen from grace and Christ is of no effect to you. That's pretty pretty clear, isn't it? that you can't believe that you are saved by works and be in Christ Jesus. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. You see the contrast with the works of the law and with faith there. The works of the law and faith. So if somebody comes to you and says, yes, I believe that I am saved based upon what I do, you can say, you are not in Christ Jesus. And you can take them to this passage in Galatians. Do you examine your own heart, and if you say, you know what? I have been trying to get myself to heaven based on what I do, not on trusting in Christ, then you should doubt your salvation and you should believe in Christ for your salvation. Okay, but here's, a, here's a question. Think about this for a minute, guys here's something we need to be really careful of. We need to think through this very carefully. Is belief a work? In the context of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, that if you you believe that you are saved by works, that you are outside of Christ and that Christ profits you nothing, is belief, A work according to the Scriptures. Is belief a work? Here's why this is important. If belief is a work, then those who say that you believe first and then God saves you are lost. Because they are saying that you are justified by your works. So those people we would call Arminian, a lot of times semi-Pelagian is going to be a better category, a little more specific. Full Arminianism goes to the point of saying you can lose your salvation. A lot of people we would call Arminians don't believe you can lose the salvation, but what the difference comes in, they believe that we have faith, we believe in God, and then He saves us. Whereas I believe the Scriptures teach that we're dead in trespasses and sins, there's no one that seeks after God, we're totally depraved, therefore God has to give us the ability to believe, and then we're saved. It's that idea of logically prior. Yes, God so love the world, whosoever believes on Him will not perish, but the question is, who can believe, right? And the one that can believe is the one that has been called and the one that God applies through the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ to But here's, here's the answer Scripturally, and this is a resounding answer in Scripture. It is resounding. Belief is not works. Belief and faith are not works. That is resounding throughout the Scriptures. While you're in Galatians, let's take a look at uh, chapter 2 for a moment and verse 16. knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by faith and the faith of Jesus Christ even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified do you see that strong strong contrast between those two categories and did you notice that the word belief and the word faith are used here synonymously? Notice that. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. We believe, and also there is faith, the faith of Christ. Look over also, though, at Romans chapter 4. Again, this is a resounding answer in scripture, the Apostle Paul when he talks about justification contrasts belief and faith with the works of the law. So what does this mean? It means that yes, whereas I disagree with my Arminian brethren who say that we believe first and then we are saved, I will call them brethren. Because they are not Necessarily. They may have other beliefs which would put them outside of the faith if you're looking at them as individuals, but they're not necessarily outside of the faith as the Apostle Paul explained there in Galatians chapter 5 when he said, if you believe that you're justified by works, that, you, that Christ profits you nothing. Look at Romans chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1. What shall we say? That Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh is found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. So there, he's saying he wouldn't, he'd be able to glory, but not before God. For what if the scripture? Abraham believed God, there's the word belief, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. See, the belief is contrasted with works. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that would be, I believe, the very faith of Christ is imputed to us. It's counted as ours. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness, counts the righteousness of Christ is theirs without works saying blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also does this just come upon the Jews or do the Gentiles get this also for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision not in circumcision but uncircumcision received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe. And then it goes on from there. But it's just important for us to realize there that if we look in our hearts and if we say, you know what, I believe that I'm saved by my works. That we can't say that we're a Christian. We need to repent of that and we need to truly believe in Christ. But we need to be careful also of condemning as lost those that would have a different view regarding how belief and how works fit in on the timeline of salvation. As long as they're not saying it is by our works that we're saved because belief is not a work. Now, Those passages are key passages where justification is being spoken of. There is a passage in John 6, remember, where Jesus is asked the question, what do we do to work the works of God? And he says, believe on Him that is sent. And that is to do the work of God. But here's the key. Jesus wasn't discussing the doctrine of justification there. The Apostle Paul is clearly discussing justification. Jesus was talking to people who believed that they could be saved by what they do, and he's saying, No, you're supposed to... This is the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to believe on me. That would be a paraphrase on that of that. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to believe in me. But he's not saying that you're justified. Or that your belief is a work in the sense of a work of the law, like the Apostle Paul is speaking of it here. So, anyway, let's wrap this up. You guys are so patient. Actually, I do want to thank you. You guys have been very attentive during, during the time and to the messages. And I, I really do. Uh, I'm really thankful for that. I'm really thankful for that. But if we look into our hearts and if our practice is constantly falling short, if our desires are not in the right place, and if we have some beliefs which are outside of the essential beliefs, then we should doubt our salvation and we should repent, confess, and we should turn unto God. And under those essential beliefs, we have to believe the Gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We must believe that we are saved by grace through faith and that it's not by the works of the law. Some things we didn't get into, but you guys know of these things. These also are mentioned as essential. The person of Christ Jesus. He said, "If you, unless you believe that I am, you will perish in your sins. You have to believe that Jesus is God and that He is man. Anyone that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist those are some things the Scriptures clearly say that someone must believe or must not deny if they are to be in Christ Jesus. But if you look in and you see fruit, then rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Repent of sin when you find it there. But look inward and then look out to Christ. And it should always, looking in should always lead you back out to Christ. We should always be looking to Christ for our identity and resting in Him and His work on our behalf. Father, thank You for these truths from Your Word. I pray that You'll go, go with us now. I pray that You'll keep people safe during the day of heat. pray that You'll help them to uh, continue to process these truths and to consider the Word. And I look forward, Father, to continuing to get to know them and look forward to us turning to Your Word again as we look at some very practical issues that we'll face in our lives. Thank You, Father, for Your grace and mercy toward us through Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen.